Good evening. Measles comes up the works as Afghan refugees stream into U.S. bases around the world. The first day of school in New York City, the governor's plans to fight the Texas bounty hunter abortion law, and a tree is mulched in Manhattan. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, September 13th, 2021. The Department of Defense confirmed cases of measles were found among refugees flown out of Afghanistan as the U.S. withdrew its forces last month. Defense Department Press Secretary John Kirby says flights to the United States have been halted on orders of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Operation Allies welcome flights into the United States remain paused at the request of the CDC for at least seven additional days from today because of recent diagnosed cases of measles among Afghans who recently arrived in the United States. There have been five diagnosed cases of measles among new arrivals so far, and we are closely monitoring uh, just in case more emerged. We already announced one case that was confirmed last week at Fort McCoy, and three cases were confirmed on Thursday night among new arrivals who flew into Dulles Airport here in the D.C. area, and then one has been found at Fort Pickett. Uh, They have been housed separately and are receiving medical care, and the CDC is doing contact tracing and will ask people to self-isolate as needed. And obviously we'll share more information as soon as it becomes available. Many thousands of Afghan evacuees airlifted out of Kabul are still en route to new homes in the United States. Germany and Qatar, along with Italy, Spain, Kosovo, Kuwait, and other countries, agreed to temporarily host processing sites for evacuees after Kabul fell, after allies initially balked over worries of getting stuck with U.S. security problems. Refugee groups have criticized the Biden administration for not bringing the Afghan evacuees to U.S. territory for screening. And closer to home, proof of vaccination enforcement begins today at many New York City businesses. More than three dozen kinds of indoor settings are covered under the policy called Key to New York City. The city's hope is the inconvenience of being unvaccinated will encourage New Yorkers to get the shot. But there's still resistance to the COVID vaccine. Yesterday, several dozen workers and parents protested at City Hall, calling on the mayor to give students in the city's workforce a remote and telework option as the Delta variant continues to cause a surge in COVID cases here in the city. The city says it knows how to keep schools and workplaces safe, though. Today was the first day of school for one million public school students headed to class after more than a year at home. And unlike last year, students in the city's public school system will not be given an option for remote learning. Students will not be mandated to get inoculated. Teachers have until September 27th to get the shot. But the mayor, who spent the morning at a Bronx elementary school greeting kids with fist bumps, says it's a great day anyway. This is the day we have been waiting for. You're going to remember in the history of this city, this day, September 13th, 2021, a day that was a game changer, a difference maker, a turnaround day. This is the day. New York City's come back in full force. This morning I saw it with my own eyes, PS25 in the Bronx. Absolutely beautiful. So many kids back. Their parents happy to see the kids back in school. The teachers and the whole school team ready for them. Incredible excitement, and we're seeing that all over the five boroughs today. So this is a day we have been working towards for months and months, making progress, fighting back COVID, everyone together. Mayor de Blasio, but as it gets progressively harder to avoid the jab with federal regulations forcing all businesses with over 100 employees across the country to get their workers inoculated, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was threatening millions of dollars in state fines against the feds. If a government agency in the state of Florida 
forces a vaccine as a condition to employment, that violates Florida law. And you will face... And you will face a $5,000 fine for every single violation. And so if you look at uh, places here um, in Alachua County, like the city of Gainesville, I mean, that's millions and millions of dollars potentially in fines. Orange County, many, many more than that. Um, At the end of the day... Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Last week, President Joe Biden announced that OSHA workplace safety laws would be enforced to get more people vaccinated. And health issues continue to royal Americans, provided over the very meaning of public health itself. The conservative majority on the United States Supreme Court allowed a Texas law to stand, empowering vigilantes to sue anyone helping a woman to get an abortion in that state. Much of the pushback against the court and the Texas laws coming from New York, where abortion was first legalized. Earlier today, New York women, elected officials and reproductive health advocates gathered in New York to speak out against the Texas abortion ban, the Supreme Court's failure to block the ban, as well as trends around the country to restrict access to abortion rights. Linda Perry reports. Election officials and women's rights advocates stood in front of the 14-foot-tall monument in Central Park to three pioneers of women's rights, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Sojourner Truth. They spoke out against the attack on women's reproductive rights and the Texas abortion law, which prohibits abortions at six weeks. Think about what they did. New York Governor Kathy Hochul. I guarantee I did not know I was pregnant with my first child at six weeks. I actually went on a whitewater rafting trip, it turns out, at three months because I didn't know I was pregnant. I mean, that is the reality of real people, okay? We don't always know. So you're denied the choice that should be yours as a woman and something we took for granted by Texas who thinks six weeks is the magic date that you should have been aware, you should know this. And that is grotesquely unfair, what they're expecting people to do. And I'm glad the Department of Justice is taking Texas to court. I had a chance to have a brief conversation on Saturday with Merrick Garland, our Attorney General. I said, we're with you, keep going, fight on. Uh, But it's not just Texas, it's Ohio, it's Mississippi, it's Alabama, all across the nation. The New York governor asks, who are the warriors waging the battle? She says, it's New York women once again. U.S. Senator from New York, Kirsten Gillibrand, says the forces that want to deny women's reproductive freedom is an attack on human rights. This Texas decision is abhorrent. I I can't imagine a worse decision for women. It does three things that, that is shocking. First, the governor said, show perfectly, six weeks is very early. Many young women will not know whether or not they're pregnant at six weeks. Second, it deputizes vigilantes to go after you. Anybody in that state has universal standing to go after you and make sure you get prosecuted if you are seeking an abortion or helping someone make a decision. So the third thing it does is it creates a right of action against anyone. You sat with your friend and talked to her about what she wants to do with her future. I can sue you. I can put you in jail. I can make you pay $10,000. It is shocking shocking 
what they did in Texas. Echoing Governor Hochul, Senator Gillibrand says Texas isn't alone. It's just the first of the big idea conservative legislators have all across America. She points to Mississippi. Mississippi, they're going to hear, the Supreme Court will hear a case on the Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban that is a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade. And you have creative lawyers all across the country, the New York Times had an article about it yesterday, who have spent their lives figuring out what lawsuit, what can I file to get to the Supreme Court to eradicate women's reproductive freedom. The senator standing with U.S. Congress member from New York, Carolyn Maloney, says it's more than just a question of when to deny care. It's denying women their humanity. So on the federal level, my job and Carolyn's job is to pass the Women's Health Protection Act. This would this would basically codify Roe v. Wade. It would tell these state legislators and governors across the country that it is not their purview to make these decisions. Now, to get that done, that is going to be very hard because we may have to have filibuster reform before we pass it in the Senate. I fully support filibuster reform to pass reproductive freedom in the U.S. Senate. We also have to continue our struggle to repeal the Hyde Amendment. The Hyde Amendment is what makes it unfair for low-income women. So it tells people, oh, sure, sure, you still have abortion protections, but not if you don't have the money for it, not if you don't have the resources, not if you don't have the ability to pay. And that's what's so unconstitutional about the Hyde Amendment. It determines who has access, access based on how much money you have. Dr. Mira Shaw has been on the front lines as an abortion provider. She's the chief medical officer of Planned Parenthood in Hudson, New York. I am a proud abortion provider. I truly value a person's right to decide if and when they are ready to become a parent. The national landscape around abortion care is far from reassuring. When abortion access is littered with political interference, innocent people suffer. My colleagues in Texas have been sharing their stories with me of their current reality. Turning patients away for life-saving care has been so painful, to say the least. Patients' rights are under attack, and many states, too many states, have been successful in stripping away at the ability of individuals to access life-affirming abortion care. Dr. Shaw says she feels lucky to practice in a state which views abortion as a human right. But New York State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins says we did that despite all odds in what was supposed to be a blue state. She entered office in 2006 carrying the Women's Reproductive Health Act, but it wasn't passed until 2019. How many years ago was that? Not many. I just want to put it in perspective. And we did the Contraceptive Care Act. And we did the boss bill. And we did so many things to tell women that their rights were being preserved here in New York. I will remind everyone that even in 2019, not one Republican voted for a woman's right to choose in New York. The New York State Majority Leader says she's presenting a sense of reality that our leadership came at a late, late time when we were supposed to be a progressive state. So you can imagine what's happening around this country. It is all about leadership. It is all about the vote. 
It is all about understanding where we are and that we can never rest, even if we had the privilege of being born into a situation where we didn't have to fight for this stuff. Because we're still fighting for voting rights. We are still fighting for women's rights. We are still fighting for the rights of transgendered people. We are still fighting for the rights of every single body. Stuart Cousins says the root of the struggle is who has the power and what that power will do and can do to keep people out and to put people in. Linda Perry, WBAI News, New York. Thanks, Linda. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. The ongoing saga over an unpopular flood control plan that would close a 50-acre park on the Lower East Side for a flood control project reached a milestone today. Activists reported that sometime late last night or early this morning, the city mulched the first of 991 trees scheduled to be removed for the reconstruction of the park. Activists called for a sit-in at the park at the location near the 12th Street pedestrian footbridge. A longtime resident and poet, Eileen Miles. They're going to take every bit of biodiversity, every plant, every tree, every blade of grass, and all the ball fields, and the amphitheater, everything that brings human beings to this park and helps us celebrate nature and green space in the city, in the east, you know, in the downtown east side of the city. This is our, this is the only thing downtown. Uh, Don't they say they're going to replace it? better <laughs> this process will take about 10 years like we all know that this esplanade you're looking at right here this track along the river um, was going to take two or three years and it took 10 so imagine we're talking about a 56 acre park we're talking about a mile and a half and they're saying it's going to take three or four years i say 10 or 15 and what they're going to do when they get rid of all life including us from this park is cover it with a million tons of landfill which will be hard to find in a pandemic. Materials are hard to get. Then that will settle. Then they will put concrete and astroturf and little sapling trees. In about 30 years, there'll be shade here again. Children's whole child, childhoods will be over. Old people will never walk in the shade again. You know, I'll be dead. Lots of us will just never see anything by this river again. But we want to protect these projects across the road here? FEMA is building walls along those projects. And so that's going to do something. And the craziness of this plan is that they're putting up a big concrete 10 feet foot wall there. So what we're going to have is a big bathtub called FDR. It's really insane. So you're saying that the highway will become the bathtub? The highway will be the bathtub. And that's crazy. I mean, the, the irony of all this is that this park is resilient. This park is like a sponge. During Sandy, it absorbed water. And the water, it was flooded for two days and the water went back to the river and you can come back into the park in two days. The reason the flooding was limited over there was because of this park. There was only three feet of water there, whereas Battery Park had 12. And they are getting wetlands and glass gates. It's totally about wealth. The city uses the low income of the people in these buildings as a chorus for their own designs. They say, we're saving them, we're saving lives. Nobody died over there, but people will die when there are no trees and there's no air, and FDR is just blasting CO2 for 15 years. What's the alternative? To stop dead in its tracks. I mean, de Blasio is leaving, this is his baby. He thinks, he wants to make John Lindsay Park be de Blasio Park, which is so nuts. People have told us all city contracts, after the flooding last week, all city contracts should be 
frozen. Nothing should be built right now in New York City. And they've got to look at the water and the sewer infrastructure because that stuff has not been looked at since 2008. And so they're going ahead with a plan that has no wisdom and no sense of water and no concern for the people who just died. The city council person who's supposed to run for the people and does not interact with the organized people anyway. Right. Well, there should be a new term, progressive, except for real estate. And unfortunately, in the city, the Republicans have been better with real estate than the Democrats. Republicans have old money. They have banking. Democrats just count on real estate to keep them in office. So Carlina comes in as the local girl, the local star. Everybody's really excited that somebody that grew up on Rivington Street could be the city councilor. We're all excited. She's progressive. And then she's gone for every single upzoning thing there is. She's a very ambitious person, and she's stonewalled the community. She was on one side of the plan when there was a good community approval plan and then she swapped side when she saw which way the power wind was going she wants to be the speaker of the city council and i think she thinks this is her road and the thing that's sad is that if this park is destroyed it's going to be another christine quinn story this will be the end of her career christine quinn was on her way to being a mayor and she supported the destruction of saint vincent's and she lost the west village and carlina will lose the lower east side in the east village she's already lost all the abuelas all the older women in this neighborhood know what she's made of and that's Eileen Miles, a local resident and poet. Councilperson Carlina Rivera has supported the project, leading to constant protests at her home. She recently moved from the neighborhood near the river to a far corner of her district, closer to Midtown. Over the last few days, numbered silver metal tags began appearing on trees throughout the park. Activist Harriet Hershorn says the tags are meant to label trees that will be milled, while the others are mulched. We are looking at a London plane tree that is going through its shedding process, which is good, <laughs> normal. Um, it's a healthy tree, and it says number. It has a silver tag that says 304, and the city has told the community that what that means is these are the trees that are going to be milled and 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 turned into furniture. The older, healthier trees are going to be used to build furniture, like, for example, park benches. But most of the furniture that they've told us that will be in this park when it is, if it ever is, once again a park, is metal furniture. Pretty much every aspect of their plan does not seem climate friendly. They want to put astroturf. There's going to be a lot more concrete. They're going to take down a thousand trees, and they're going to add metal and astroturf and concrete. 304, what does that number mean? That I don't know. I don't know if that means this is the 304th tree in this area that they're going to be doing this with. I know that down there, there the, the numbers range from like 520 to 5, you know, something like that. There. So, so basically they've registered all these trees. These trees, probably there's a, probably a computer file somewhere with this tree's number on it. Right. And some trees don't get the tag? Like some I noticed. Yeah, the, um, the, the very, very, very young, small trees that can be transplanted will be, and that's a, that's a very small percentage of the trees that are in this area. All the trees in between the tiny trees and the old trees will, are all slated for destruction. Activist Harriet Hirshhorn, the project to raise the park 10 feet and build stone retaining walls is based on the theory that more storm surges like the one accompanying Hurricane Sandy in 2012 will threaten the area. But recent rainstorms indicate the real problem for the city is antiquated sewers that fail to drain off the torrential rains. 
And today, following a public court conference in the historic judicial inquiry into the NYPD killing of Eric Garner and subsequent cover-up, Gwen Carr, mother of Eric Garner, Communities United for Police Reform, the Justice Committee, and other petitioners in the case are calling on Mayor de Blasio to fire all the NYPD officers responsible and stop hiding critical information ordered in the judicial inquiry. Lawyers for the Garner family spoke with reporters today. The reason why this judicial inquiry is so important is that the killing of Eric Garner is probably the most high-profile police killing in New York City in our generation and known around the world. If we can't get actual transparency in such a high-profile case in terms of what was done and not done and why officers have not been disciplined fired from the police department, it really sends the message that the NYPD will always be allowed to act with impunity. Alvin Bragg with New York Law School. We are, on the one hand, very encouraged that for the first time in 100 years, we're going to have a summary inquiry and that we will have an opportunity to question witnesses about the areas that the court laid out, including the leaking of confidential medical and arrest information, the stop, arrest, and excessive use of force against Mr. Garner, the false statements on NYPD uh, police records intertwined with all of those issues in addition to the medical treatment or non-treatment at the scene. It's also the investigatory process, the disciplinary process of all of those issues. We today had the court rule on a number of matters in terms of disclosure, tell the city that it's got to explain its redactions. We received, you know, a lot of documents that they were heavily redacted and were unable to discern what we need to to go forward. And they, but we also talked a lot about the scope of the proceeding. And we'll be going back to the court about really trying to keep front and center the investigations, the aftermath. This is not a matter that is just about what happened on the day that we all know and we've seen the footage, the tragic killing of Mr. Garner. We will continue to press and make clear that this is an inquiry not just about what happened on the day of Mr. Garner's death, but it goes beyond that to the key issues. If not in this case, then in what case? I am concerned that the inquiry will end up structured in a way that insulates higher-ups who were involved in investigations and disciplinary decisions that are relevant to the scope of the inquiry. But the city is going to produce the two affidavits from IAB officials that they have promised to produce, we're going to review them and we'll go back to the court and make the case. Again, we're going to move forward. There will be a public inquiry into the topics that the court has ordered, and it's going to be substantial. In the big picture, how does this relate to how New Yorkers are in the future going to relate to their police department? I think what we are already seeing is that the city government, as it stands right now, will go to all lengths possible to protect officers who kill, who brutalize, who sexually harass, who lie in official documents, and who engage in all sorts of misconduct. And that part of why the movement in New York City has been so consistent about the need to limit and reduce the NYPD's scope, power, and budget has been because they play an outsized role in city politics. So I think what we're going to see is more and more New Yorkers continuing to understand and see transparently how much the NYPD is allowed to act with impunity uh, when they should. That's Jun Kang, Alvin Bragg, and Gideon Oliver. There will be another court conference on October 15th ahead of the judicial inquiry, which is set to begin on October 25th, 2021.
And that's some of the news for Monday, September 13th, 2021. The news is produced by Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. want any extra cars, trucks, SUVs, RVs, boats, and more. Any reason is a good reason to give a vehicle to WBAI. Some do it to avoid the hassles of selling. Some like to skip the costs of repairing, while others just enjoy the good feelings of giving back to their community. But no matter your reason, donating a vehicle to WBAI is a great idea. And it's easy. Here's how it works. Simply call 866-WBAI-CAR. That's 866-922-4278.